You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. And I'm Simon. And it's only the two of us tonight, and there's a very good reason for that. And one of those reasons, well, there's two good reasons for that. One of those reasons is that Lee, Mm. if he had been included in this podcast, would have spent the entire time with his fingers in his ears and singing quietly to himself in the background. Mm. Mm. And while some people might like that, most of those people are in very carefully monitored institutions that leave <laughs> frequents at the weekends, and we wouldn't like to inflict that upon the listener. Yes, he likes life being a surprise to him. <laughs> and that's not just Doctor Who. No. <laughs> uh, and the Nothing. other good reason, yeah, the other good reason is, well, we shan't talk about it, but Mark can't be here for a very good reason either, and although we hope he has had better news by the time this podcast goes out, mm. our thoughts are with him. Absolutely. And Amy as well, of course. Yep. Um, and mentioning that, we are actually, in the first week of July, recording a podcast that's going to go out in August, and we are going to be talking about something that very likely, by the time this podcast goes out, will mean that this podcast is completely out of date. And so what might be interesting is if the person listening to this podcast, that is you, person listening to this podcast, if the person listening to this podcast uses this instead of being a podcast of news as a podcast of interesting thoughts before the news was known. Yeah. They can, you can basically listen to this and find out whether we were right or not. Yeah, this is it. Oh, well, we're gonna, yeah. We're starting to introduce these little games, aren't we? We had bingo for the last one we recorded. Oh, yeah. That's going to have gone out like six weeks before this one. So if you remember oh, the bingo podcast, we recorded that two days before we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. Now, have a little piece of paper and write down everything we've got wrong. You know you'll love it. Oh, yeah. It, I'm sure we'll get emails. Yeah. Actually, mentioning that, if you go on our Facebook page... And you go on the forum. Mm. Uh, we've got something. Uh, we've got this forum built into the page, Facebook page, but we don't use it as a forum. What we do is I use it as like a repository for information. So mm. if you go there, you can find a few short special podcasts that we recorded ages ago, and you can also find like an episode guide. Mm. Mm. And not just an episode guide, sort of topic by topic, but there's also a recording guide. So we include all the dates that we record, and they all go in there as soon as they're recorded. So if you keep an eye on that, you can usually find out what's coming up. Mm. Well, if if nothing else, this will be kind of testament to the uh, the whole process that we as fans do. You know, before we know exactly what's going on with the episode, how far of the mark we can be and how close we can be. Usually well, far. We'll soon see, won't we? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, the reason is, obviously, that for the latter half of July and the first three quarters of August, we won't be able to record any podcasts. So in order to make sure that we've got 
a podcast that is a preview of Series 8. We are recording it far in advance of Series 8. And basically, we're going to be running through the 12 episodes. We've got a list of writers, a list of directors, some cast, a handful of quotes, which might indicate a little bit about what the episodes consist of, uh, working titles for all of them, although we've no idea whether those working titles will actually be the proper titles, and occasionally we'll be able to say what the monster is, or something equivalent to that, which might give a little bit away about what's in the episode. Mm. But, here's the point, I don't think we're really going to be talking about anything that probably won't be public knowledge by the time the series comes around. Mm. Usually there's that issue of the Radio Times which has their episode names and a short preview for each of the episodes, isn't there? Mm. Mm. I don't think we're going to be giving away... Uh, we're going to try and avoid giving away because the pair of us have both tried to avoid too many spoilers ourselves. Oh, do you know what, though? Uh, the first thing I found out about this series is what happens in the last episode. Well, by you're ex- a silly boy then, aren't you? Well, I didn't do it by, on, on purpose. When you say no, what happens... How much of what happens? You don't know how it finishes, surely. Well, I don't know how it finishes, no, but there's a pretty big spoiler out there. Oh, we will mention that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure we're talking about the same spoiler, but I'm talking about something happens in the storyline. But yeah, we'll come to it. Oh, okay. Well, we'll be careful. But here's a spoiler warning. We are going to be talking spoilers, but we're probably probably only going to be talking fairly mild spoilers, and almost everything that we're going to talk about is going to be fairly public knowledge. Mm. We're, not going to, we're not going to be going into anything that should actually spoil your enjoyment of watching the episodes. In, in other words, I don't think basically we're going to be mentioning anything that you wouldn't see on the next week trailer at the end of the previous week's episode. Mm. Yeah. Okay, now we've been talking for about ten minutes about what we're going to do. Do you think we'd better actually do it? Yeah, story of my life. Okay, well, there's a quote from Stephen Moffat. There's loads of quotes from Stephen Moffat, but this one kind of sums something up that I know you wanted to talk about, and that's probably Mm. going to be interesting to talk about anyway. Mm. So I'll read out the quote, and then we'll say why we wanted to bring it up. Stephen Moffat said, Have I to do a, a Scottish accent for this? I don't know. I've never heard your Scottish accent. Um, I don't do a Scottish accent, but I thought it might be fun to try. Go on then. No, I can't. I can't do it. I'll do it. I'll just. I'll just read it out, shall I? If they just find the Highlanders, we'd all be far more prepared, wouldn't we? We would, or indeed any other episodes with Jamie in. Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's plenty actually already out there, Simon. (laughs) Mind you, his his accent's completely different in the Highlanders anyway. Oh, is it? Yeah, when they... I mean, in the Highlanders, he did like a really authentic Scottish accent. Yeah. And then when they took him on as a companion, they thought, no, if we keep this up, nobody would be able to understand him. And also, of course, Fraser Hines ain't Scottish. Mm, mm. So I think it was just easier for him to tone it down anyway. Yeah. So in all the episodes that exist, you've got a very much more toned-down version of Jamie's Scottish accent. And who knows, by the time this podcast goes out, the Highlanders might be on the shelves in WH Smith's and... Well, I was going to say Woolworths, not Woolworths, but Sainsbury's and elsewhere. 
might. Yeah, probably won't, eh? No. So that's not much of a spoiler then. Nope. Okay, Stephen Moffat said, I just felt watching last time around, Series 7 that is, that, oh, it's time we fixed that and changed that and moved that up a bit and changed that tone. So now we've got to actually get a bit raw at it and do it in a different direction. And that Mm. was Stephen Moffat. When Mm. he says get a bit raw at it, what he means Mm. is go back to basics and come at it again as if you've not done it before. Pull it apart and put it back together again. Yeah. Yeah, Because when I first read it, I thought, well, raw, what does he mean? It's going to be all kind of like um, Steadicam and stuff like that. But no, you're right. It's, It's to do with just the process, isn't it? It is. Mind you, I don't think Steadicam's all that raw. Handheld is what you mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Steadicam's a bit too steady. Mm. But I know what you're saying. Not, it's a nightmare for the CGI people. Um, I imagine. It used to, it used to be, but, uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica really upped the game on that, didn't they? But didn't they... I always imagine they put the... They did. They, they put, put the, the wobbles in after. Yeah, 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 yeah. But as long as you've got a fixed point in the frame, you mm. can map the fixed point and map the effect around the fixed point. Mm. Mm. So I don't suppose it's actually as difficult as you probably think it is. No. Not with computers these days. Ooh, computers these days. Yeah. We're avoiding the subject, Simon. Mm. No, yes. Well, uh, <laughs> well, there's two things about this. There's what would you like to see? And what mm. do you actually think you'll see? What What would you like to see, Simon? Um, I would like to see it as fresh as it was with when the eleventh hour came out, because I remember at the time a few people said, "Oh, it's not different at all." But I thought it was very, very different with the way it was filmed. Um, there just seemed to be a lot more going on. It was, it was, it was more like a pop video <clears throat> than the previous series. So I would like to see it. I, I, I've got nothing against there being a big shake-up with the, with the feel of the thing. I don't know as if the writing will be that different. But, I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know whether he's talking about purely a directorial or a filmmaking angle on it, or whether he is literally talking about uh, a different pace. Um, or, or a, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe filming from a different perspective. Of the show. Maybe he's talking about the Doctor. Maybe the Maybe. stories will be fairly similar, but it'll be the Doctor that'll be completely different. Mm, mm. And of course, when he says we've got to get a bit raw at it, and he's talking about going back to basics and, you know, building the foundations again, almost. Not for the series, but for the um, iteration of the series. Mm. He could be talking about the Doctor, because this is the first Doctor of a new cycle, isn't it? Yes, this this is the just from the few lines they've let. I mean, at this point, the last trailer we've had is the one about where he, you know, with the Daleky voice that's uh, saying, "I can see into your soul, Doctor," um, and also the the Doctor saying, "You know, am I a good man?" So there's there's obviously some kind of reboot going on within the Doctor himself, isn't there? Well, in fact, the I can see into your soul, and I see what does he say? Beauty, divinity, and beauty, divinity, divinity, and hatred. Hatred, yeah. And that's not a million miles away from, I guess, Tennant and Smith, really. No, no, I did think that. I I thought, oh, are we still, are we still hanging on Doing to his that, hatred yeah. because I, I, 
there was a certain amount of resolution from there, the Doctor, I would have thought. But uh, but then again, this is the Daleks. It is the Daleks, yes. I mean, it's re- very Return of the Jedi Emperor, but it is, um, yeah. yeah. Well, is it the Daleks, of Emperor, though? It sounds like someone else, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Does... Is it the Dalek Emperor? Is it Davros? Mm. Or is it just, you know, a mad Dalek? Because we've seen mad Daleks before. Mm, mm. It's interesting. You I know what my theory was? Everyone's hoping for Davros, aren't they? Well, like, it would be interesting to see what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who would do with Davros, just as it would be interesting to see what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who would do with the Master, because we've not had the Master no. in the last five years. And I think... Well, this is a funny thing, because Stephen Moffat patently doesn't do very well writing... Uh, Things like the Daleks and the Cybermen, because he his dialogue has a certain rhythm and a certain mm-hmm. quality and a certain tone, and it just does not suit robots. And um, you know, Daleks—they're not robots, but they're not a million miles removed from robots. Their dialogue tends to have the rhythm and tone, mm. that, a rhythm and tone that's closer to a robot than it is to a human being. Mm. So Stephen Moffat doesn't write those things terribly easily. And I think you can tell that in Asylum of the Daleks, there's, what, out of 45 minutes, there's only about three or four minutes with Daleks actually talking in it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, successful. We, we as a podcast weren't, we liked it. We weren't hugely enamoured with Asylum, were we? I think a f- fandom seemed to like it. It was a very popular episode. People were voting it very highly, weren't they? So in that respect, it was successful. But I know what you mean. As far as how much content was actually Dalek-related, it was it was quite minimal, really. Well, there was plenty of Daleks in the asylum, but what mm. I mean is character stuff for the Daleks. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, he obviously struggled with that and so kept it to a bare minimum. Mm. Having said that, oh, this dialogue that's in this mini-trailer, this teaser, uh, the probability is it's not from a Stephen Moffat episode at all, as we'll get to mm. in a few minutes. Yes. So chances are that was written by somebody else. But when you're a showrunner, uh, A, you tend to rewrite or give a polish to everybody else's script anyway. And B, when you're a showrunner and Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davis have both been, oh well I hesitate to say guilty of this, but this has been a part of both of their showrunnerships. But the writers you get to bring in you tend to have them writing in your image, as it were. Mm. Mm. So people would tend to write, even if uh, Stephen Moffat's not rewriting the dialogue so that it has his tone and his quality, other people will tend to see what he's doing, especially when they're writing the central characters, and write like that anyway. Mm. But the point I was getting to is, if you're struggling to write... yeah you know, the Daleks, and if you're struggling to write Cybermen, then you don't write Daleks and you don't write Cybermen. You bring somebody in like Davros who you can give that dialogue to. Yeah. Mm. So, could be interesting to see if it is Davros. Mm. I think it sounds a bit more like the Emperor himself. Hmm, okay. Okay. And I do believe that Nick Briggs tweeted something about it. And when he tweeted about it, I think he gave the impression that that was his voice, as oh, okay. opposed to, say, Julian Bleach or somebody. I th- My hunch is that if they were to bring Davros back, it would be a two-parter. And there's no sign of that, is there, for the Daleks? 
Oh, there's no two-parters in the entire series, I oh, don't well, there you think. Go. No. Unless the last one's a two-parter. It's hard to say. They're both by Stephen Moffat, but they could be individual episodes, or they could be a two-parter. It's possible. Well, yeah, or the, yeah, the enemy could be bridging the two stories, much like Utopia and... Yeah. And besides, you know, the funny thing with a two-parter is you bring in a character like that, you tend to bring them in at the halfway point anyway. Yeah. Yep. I know last time Davros was in the first episode slightly more, but he wasn't in the first of the two parts a huge amount. Mm. No, 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 so, that's right. Mm, so as long as you bring him in, if you bring him in 10 minutes into a single episode, he still gets 35 minutes on screen, you know, p- potentially on screen, 35 yeah. minutes in the story, which is more than a lot of people get anyway. Mm. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see. It might be out by the time this podcast goes out. People might know already. They might be shouting at their... Earphones. <laughs> Are you, I, t- I take it you're not going to be in Cardiff on August the 7th then, JR? Oh, by the time this podcast goes out, we'll know. Oh, you don't know yet. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I can get up there. Yeah. Mm. But I don't know whether I will or not. I've not made it to any of the ones before. It's on a Thursday, isn't it? Mm, but I'm not working, so I can make it Ooh. if I if I get the invitation, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Hmm. Well, I'll just have to wait and see what happens. Mm. Um, so what what are you expecting to see on... Well, not expecting, but what can you imagine would be on screen that would well, make you think, oh, something different is going on? Well, the biggest clue we've had was the Paul McGann mini-episode. Mm. Where Paul McGann was written exactly the same as Matt Smith was, and yet, because it was Paul McGann playing it, it comes out completely differently. That old thing that Terran Sticks used to say, you know, you don't write the Doctors differently, you just write the Doctor and let the actor bring his own thing to it. Mm. That's a little bit disingenuous, because once you've got the actor in place, you can write dialogue that fits their mouth, as it were. Yeah. Mm. But having said that, if you gave all 13 actors who've played the Doctor the same page of dialogue, each of them would give you a different interpretation of it. Mm, mm. And so, for all that people are thinking we're going to get this darker Doctor who's more like something out of the thick of it, I think, in terms of his dialogue, and to a large extent, but not completely, in terms of his character, I think it'd be written exactly the same as Matt Smith was. Yeah, yeah. We, and I think, yeah. We already know just, there's some vulnerability going on, don't we? Hmm. And that the only thing that will be different is how Peter Capaldi puts his spin on delivering that dialogue. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of the time, and, and with good actors, this is certainly the case, if you have an actor who you give a sort of vulnerability to, or a character quirk to, you can give him a piece of absolutely flat dialogue that doesn't relate to that at all, and his interpretation of that dialogue will bring that in. Mm. Because he's good enough to do that dialogue in such a way as it makes it clear that he has that vulnerability or that quirk. Matt Smith did that so much. That was one of the great things that Matt Smith did. You could give him any piece of dialogue, and he would always make it interesting, and he'd always make it true to his version of the Doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I mean, I, I hope we see a gradual increase in speed with this Doctor. Uh, as I say, the clues are that he's vulnerable at first. He doesn't. It seems like he he, he won't know who he is. 
quite, and he's looking to uh, uh, to to Clara to kind of you know give him some kind of something to hold on to as to who he is. Um, I'd be I'd I would love to see some kind of reaction to the fact that he's in an older body as well. Hmm. Oh, probably no doubt. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I tell you what, I would be surprised by though. Right. I'd be surprised if the sort of post regeneration thing carries on with any degree, uh, you know, of magnitude throughout the rest of the series after the first episode. No, that yeah. first episode. I mean, this is usually the case anyway, but obviously with others like Colin Baker, they've carried it on. Mm. But the second episode is written by Phil Ford. And while Phil Ford's a very capable writer, I think if Stephen Moffat were intending to make it a thing, mm. that this is a new Doctor starting a new cycle and he doesn't know who or where or what he is, I think if he were intending to make that a thing, I think he'd have written both the first two episodes himself. Yep, yep. So I think it'll all be over and done in that first feature-length episode. Mm, however long. Yeah, no, it will. It will. Uh, you don't want castrovalvaritis. Uh, whereas my sister said at the time he spent the whole story laying down until the last yeah. episode. Um, I mean, he had a birth out with David Tennant yeah. in Christmas Invasion. If it hadn't been for the fact that it was self-contained 60 minutes, you know, can you imagine if that had been two two episodes and he'd spent the entire first episode flat on his back? Yeah, yeah, the ver- the first Doctor Light episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if what we're... I mean, how much can I say about what... I mean, you've given me this this rundown of what we know up to this point about the second episode. I mean, it's from what you've got here, it's going to be very diff- different to, it's not going to be, it's no beast below. And it's, Oh, you it's, say it's, what you like. Cause everything I've written up a, a small document with okay. basically everything we're going to talk about tonight. If it's on the document, we can talk about it. Okay. Well, apparently according to your sources, sir, uh, this is the Dalek episode. Episode two, the Daleks. So we're getting Capaldi straight into the Daleks, second episode, where usually episode two, uh, I suppose it's a situation, isn't it? We we haven't got a new companion, so we haven't got to go and do an end of the world. We haven't got to go and do a beast below where we show them the universe. We've got to get the Doctor up to speed. So is the best way of doing that, to stick him up against the Daleks, so, so that the audience and he knows who he is. Well, there's something very interesting going on. I was going to get into this when we get into the episodes, but shall we do that now, then? Mm. Okay, let's start with episode one, though. Okay. Because I think that feeds into what they're doing with episode two, and I think it feeds into it in a very interesting fashion. Because what usually happens, or what has usually happened in the new series, is that when you introduce a new regular character, whether that be the Doctor or a companion, it tends to be a modern Earth set episode, right? Mm. I mean, you had it in Rose, you had it in The Christmas Invasion, you had it again in Smith and Jones, you had it in Partners in Crime, you had it in The Eleventh Hour. Mm. And of course, although Clara had that weird introduction, you had it in The Bells of St. John, where we got the Clara that we've, you know, grown to know. Yeah. So all the introductions have been taking place in present day earth set episodes well we all know that uh peter capaldi's first episode is set in victorian times Mm, great so quite how they get there and what the situation is but you have to assume that um 
you know, at the end of Time of the Doctor, the TARDIS is out of control. You have to assume that it goes straight from there to Victorian London, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for all the talk of Danny Pink and his sister, and I suppose we'll come back to those two in a minute. Mm. I think we'll come back to those two when we get to episode two, possibly. I don't know where they come in, but it wouldn't surprise me. So we'll come back to those two in a minute. For all the talk of these two, they're apparently not going to be appearing in the very first episode, which is probably appropriate, Mm. because even though it's a feature-length episode, and we've no idea whether that means 60 minutes or 75 or 90 or even 55 or whatever, but it's going to be longer than 45 minutes. But even though it's going to be a longer episode, they're going to devote that time to Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Right, the interesting thing is, because they've decided to go back to Victorian London, they're doing, they're basically doing a robot or a spearhead from space. They're surrounding the viewer with familiar figures, <laughs> and it's no, not going to be any spoiler to anybody to say this is the Paternoster Gang or Menagerie a Trois. Yeah. Right, these three characters are going to be in it, and of course Clara. So the new Doctor can be surrounded by familiar figures. And a familiar story as well as it too, as it happens, but I'm not going to go any further into the story than that. Mm. It's going to be familiar figures surrounding a new Doctor, which is interesting, not just because it means that as a viewer, we already have familiarity so that we can adopt this or adapt to this new Doctor and accept him more easily because... You know, if everything was new, and in the 11th hour, everything was new. And I'm not saying the 11th hour, people struggled with it, but it's obviously easier if it's not everything that's new, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you give people things they already know, it becomes much easier to adapt to the new Doctor, so that by the time you get to the end of the episode, you have accepted him. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're only changing one of the jigsaw pieces. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, we haven't said what it's called, but obviously it's been revealed that it's called Deep Breath. Mm, mm. So well, what's what your take on that? I mean, is that the Doctor himself taking a deep breath? New new life cycle? Yeah, I think, and two other things as well. Because mm. um, Stephen Moffat does like to play on words a bit, doesn't he? He does. I think it's also a case of, well, deep breath and run. Yeah. So could be that it becomes a kind of... Not necessarily a catchphrase. Could be something he says in the episode. But on this, you've, you've also got a working title of um, The Fear Machines as well. Mm. Actually, I wasn't going to bring that up, Simon. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no. I, not, <laughs> I wasn't going to not bring it up deliberately, but because we've actually got the title, I didn't think it was worth mentioning. Because oh. also that gives away something about the story. Oh. So we shan't say any further than that. No, because I think it. this is a spoiler. I think this is going to be a twist in the story because it's not been given away yet. And unless it's given away before the episode goes out, I think it'll be a big twist for people. So we won't say anything more. Oh, okay. And deep breath, the third meaning of deep breath, I think probably will also, unless you've seen this particular spoiler, which again, I think might not be spoiled. I think it will also be a spoiler for the twist in the plot. Mm. So perhaps better not go any further. No, no. We know we know Peter Capaldi's on a on a horse for this one. Ah, uh, yeah, but that's just a throwaway scene. Yeah. Okay. 
broke his finger doing it though, didn't he, or something? Just Did he? Oh, I sure. thought he heard that. Yeah, I thought he hurt his he hurt his hand on the first day of filming. Oh, you may have seen more spoilers than me. Well, that was a really early one. That was that was his early days of filming because this is this is all block one, isn't it? Is, yeah. Is, is that something? Is that something new in that his first his first episodes are literally his first episodes, aren't they? In filming, you know, it's not like a Peter um, Davison where it's like his third David story. David Tennant did it that way. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what the precise order they filmed his first episodes was in, but I'm pretty sure Christmas Invasion was first. Because one of Matt Smith's Victory, Victory of the Daleks, was that his first? Um, No, his first was Time of Angels. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that was quite a way in, really. Yeah, first third of the series uh, was the way Crest of Eccleston started, episodes four and five. Oh, right, started. okay. Yeah, Eccleston and Matt Smith both started exactly the same. Mm. But I'm pretty sure David Tennant started with Christmas Invasion. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, he would have. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they, they filmed that in a three-episode block with New Earth and School Reunion. But I, unless I'm remembering it wrong, I think they actually filmed them in order, mm. recorded them in order. Of course, the other th- interesting thing about episode one and episode two is the director, who is Ben Wheatley. Okay, what do we know him from? Uh, well, he's a film director. He's filmed. Oh God, I'm struggling with the names now, and I've not got the internet up in front of me. There's one about a bunch of um, English Civil War soldiers, a horror film, all set in one field. I think it's called something like A Foreign Field. He's known for edgy horror stuff, basically. But quite intelligent edgy horror stuff. Uh, I've got it here. Kill kill List? Oh, Sightseers. Sightseers. Comedy. Mm. No, something... It's the one with the word field in the title. Uh, I'll have a look. I'll have a look. I thought you were looking... I was looking, yeah. For some reason, it's not giving me a list of everything he's done. Oh, okay, don't Here worry we go. about it. A field in England. A field in England, that's it. Yes. And, it, yeah, it's kind of a psychological horror film. But the, the point is, he's quite known for sort of edgy technical direction, oh, camera well, work and stuff. And he worked and for, on The Wrong Door. Did you ever see the comedy series, The Wrong Door? No, I did not. The comedy series was all based around um, kind of camera trickery and things like that, CGI. Oh, there you go. Very uh, surreal. So that was good. I think the fact that Ben Wheatley's name was mentioned in conjunction with the first two episodes might have excited people into thinking, oh, Doctor Who's going to push the bar even further in terms of the camera work and the direction, Mm. the technical direction. But to be honest with you, people have already been doing that. You look at, for example, God Complex mm. and all the jiggery-pokery that was going on there. There's been quite a lot of that anyway in the Stephen Moffat era. In fact, going right back to what you were talking about earlier, the 11th hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was completely different. There was a, There's always been a lot of that stuff throughout uh, Stephen Moffat's era. And other, apart from that, Ben Wheatley will obviously not be bringing his entire package to Doctor Who, no. but will be doing Doctor Who. But he's obviously got, I'm just looking here, he's also got quite a lot of credits as a writer, and he did a lot of the writing in The Wrong Door, but also Time Trumpet as well, which was another just a mad thing. I'd, I would look it up on YouTube, it's brilliant. Oh, great, okay. Great stuff, really, really mm, odd, off-the-wall stuff, very inventive. So, yes, that that gives us some hope, doesn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. I'm hoping, I think all the directors who are named, well, we'll come across the directors as we go through. Yeah, and also the writers are pretty interesting as well, aren't they? Yeah, we've got some new names this year. The funny thing was, Series 7, I think Stephen Moffat, because he knew Series 7 was going to be basically the anniversary year, right? Mm. I think he essentially, that year, went with the... I hesitate to say the biggest names he could get. All the people who worked on Doctor Who on Series 7, they were all showrunners in their own right. Mm. So let's say the most experienced people he could get. The people who knew better, better than a guest writer who's not written television before. People who knew what they were doing and who he could rely on. I was about to use the word phrase, um, sorry, use the phrase safe hands as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think in the end that worked against him a bit. Yeah. Because uh, Series 7, much as I think it's a great series, I think it's a little bit... Oh, I don't know what the expression is. Not lacking in direction, not flabby, but it doesn't quite feel... It doesn't feel as contained as Series 5 and Series 6 did. No. It doesn't feel like... Series 6, I still think Series 6 is the best one he's done because it feels like everybody writing that series is all on the same page. Mm, mm. And you didn't get that impression with Series 7. No, it's a collection of stories as opposed to a... To opposed to a single story split into jigsaw pieces. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But then maybe that's what he tried to do. I think the whole idea was that it yeah. was going to be self-contained, wasn't it? I wonder, yeah, as well also if Series 8 would be like that too. We'll have to wait and see, but... But of course then, episode two is the Phil Ford written one, and Phil Ford's quite close to the production. He's he's only written for Doctor Who, The Waters of Mars so far, but he's worked on a lot of those video games that they've done. Mm. And of course he's in Cardiff anyway, working on, or well, maybe not physically in Cardiff all the time, but he's in and around Cardiff working on, well, first Sarah Jane Adventures and then Wizards vs. Aliens. Mm. So he's in that production office, he's um, he, you know, he's got his hand already on that lever, as it were. He knows what he's doing, and they know they can rely on him, which is why I think he's been given the second episode because, um, you know, second episode is where you establish what the Doctor's new character will actually be. Do you know what one of the one of the kind of things that is Stephen Moffat's accused of is the fact that he's got this ego. Which I don't get. I don't get it. I don't get it. I kind of understand why people think it, but I don't get that from him. And he's given Phil Ford episode two, where you mm. would you would think that, it, as you say, he would see over the first couple of episodes. He would do the first one, which you know is probably the one that all the writers want. They would love to have the first episode of any Doctor, and then he would see over episode two. So Phil Ford again, a pair of safe hands, and again adds credence to your idea of Phil Ford being a possible future showrunner as well. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think you can read too much into it, but yeah, if you want to read that into it, it's certainly there to be read. Mm. Um, obviously, Stephen Moffat's staying on for Series 9, or at least it appears he is at this point. He's made two comments now that suggest he is, so I see no reason to believe otherwise. No. Other interesting things about Episode 2, filmed in the same block as Episode 1, so it keeps Ben Wheatley. Um, we've said already it's Daleks. The interesting thing is the working title. I don't believe this is actually 
going to be the title, <laughs> even if people don't know what the titles are going to be by the time this podcast goes out. I suppose potentially it could be the title because it's got a nice sort of inside joke in there. Mm. But the point is, if they were working on this story and they didn't have a title and they've just put this on in order so that everybody on the production knows exactly what they're aiming for, the title we've got is The Dalek Invasion of Earth 2014 AD. In other words, after going back to Victorian England in the first story, this is where they come back to the modern day. And presumably this is where you'll have Danny Pink and his sister introduced. Mm, mm. So I think that's pretty interesting. Daleks again, and this time on present-day Earth. I mean, assuming this is the Daleks, we don't absolutely 100% know for a fact that this is the Dalek story. Yeah, I would, you know, I'd really like to see a really, really great single Dalek, or a single episode Dalek story. I know we had Asylum, but that, I mean, that was kind of feature length anyway, wasn't it? Wasn't Asylum longer? No, it was regular length. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Mm. But, then we got but like vi- I say, it kind of sidelined the Daleks a bit. It did, yeah. So, hmm. Let's have some meaty Daleks. And I think Da- Ford will do that. So Yeah, the Daleks in Asylum were kind of reactive as opposed to proactive. Mm. Mm. And yeah, if this is Daleks on modern day Earth, it's going to be proactive. Phil Ford actually gave a three-line summary, which I think he wish he'd never done. but may- Or maybe not, I might be wrong. But he gave somebody a three-line summary that was behind enemy lines. Mm. Now, in terms of Daleks on modern-day Earth, mm. especially if the working title is The Dalek Invasion of Earth 2014 AD, whether that turns out to be the real title or not, <laughs> behind enemy lines, mm. well, that just fills me with what, co- expectation and hope and confidence as well, knowing it's Phil Ford. Yeah, what, like a covert operation of some kind? They're being sneaky. But it could be the Daleks. It could be the Daleks. Covert behind. operation. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Could be. And this is Stephen Moffat era Doctor Who after all. Could be that the TARDIS goes back to uh, Victorian times for the Doctor's first episode. And then when he comes back to the modern day, they find it, like in Day of the Daleks, when they go into the future, they find the Daleks have already invaded and the Earth has already succumbed to Dalek uh, mastery. Mm. And they have to set the timelines right, possibly. Oh, that'd be good. Oh, yeah, and that would that would add to the the shake up thing. Mm. Mm. And you know what else? If that were the case, maybe that could be a constant theme throughout the series that the timelines are disrupted throughout the entire series, and it becomes the quest and the arc for the entire twelve episodes to put the timelines back correct, which we'll come to when we get to episodes eleven and twelve. Yes, very good. It does seem to fit together. That's yeah, just no. a possibility. I don't know if that's going to be the case at all. I've certainly not read that anywhere. Not even read that speculated anywhere. But when you look at the episode titles, and when you look at the themes of one or two of them, and we'll come on to the third one right now, when you look at the themes and the episode titles, you just begin to wonder, is this going to be an episode, uh, a series-long arc, rather, where time is cast slightly adrift? Mm, mm. And that wouldn't be a surprise, because that is, you know, that Stephen Moffat signalled in stories like particularly The Wedding of River Song, but also The Big Bang, um, that he does time cast adrift, mm. alternative universe, you know, everything 
slightly at odds with how it's supposed to be. He he likes that. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I think that would be great. You know, I'd love to do that. I've often thought, you know, if you know, daydreaming, if ever I got Doctor Who, I would do that myself. I would cast something adrift at the start and it becomes a quest to set it back to rights by the end. Yeah. So maybe it's just wishful thinking that I'm looking at these episodes and seeing <laughs> that. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. Now, something really interesting with the third one as well. Yes. I'm... Go on, give the working title, which I'm sure will be the actual title. Robots of Sherwood. Yeah, this is Robin Hood, Alan Adale, Little John, all the rest of them. It's written by Mark Gatiss. Um, yeah. Right, one thing about Mark Gatiss is, with the notable exception of Night Terrors, Every other episode he's written for Doctor Who has been set in the past, in history. Yeah. But what do we also know about Stephen Moffat? He loves, and, you know, he gave his first indication of this as far back as The Girl in the Fireplace, and this has been true of almost everything else he's done ever since. He loves to mix up past and future, historical and science fiction. He loves to mix these things up. So Robots of Sherwood could potentially be set in Sherwood Forest at the time of Robin Hood and involve an alien invasion in involving robots. Or potentially it could be set in a future set Robin Hood theme park with robot Robin Hood, robot Alan Adale, robot Little John and so on and so forth. Westworld in Doctor Who as written by Mark Gatiss. What do you think? Possible? It's po yeah, actually yes. Yes. I mean, my immediate thought as soon as I saw it was I started thinking Time Warrior. It would be Mark Gatiss's attempt at, Mark, uh, at Time Warrior. But no, yeah, you're right. We could flip it over and um, do something else. Do something yeah. else. Um, Spaceman and King Arthur, though, I'm thinking, for some reason. Well, yeah, that was my initial thought when I saw it. And then I thought, no, it says Robots of Sherwood. It doesn't say Robots in Sherwood. No. Robots invade Sherwood. Robots of Sherwood. It's a Sherwood Forest theme park some point in the future. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I had no idea about any of this stuff before you showed me this document tonight. And uh, weirdly, I was in Sherwood Forest about two months ago. Never been there before. So oh. that's, that's a nice thing, isn't it? Were there any robots there? <sighs> well, if there were, I couldn't tell. No, uh, okay. Right, we'll go through the rest of these pretty quickly because a lot of these we don't know hardly anything about. Yeah, oh, I was just, we... sorry. I was just looking at Paul Murphy, uh, the director's uh, IMDb as well, and there's it's mainly TV. Just looking through, he's done Wizards versus Aliens and Hollyoaks and Casualty. So... Hollyoaks is Hollyoaks and Casualty. As mm. much as people might turn their noses up, especially at Hollyoaks, Hollyoaks and Casualty are pretty good. Um, places to learn for directors on the way up because Hollyoaks is on a hell of a turnaround and they do do some pretty technical stuff on Hollyoaks. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I mean, certainly Casualty is getting more and more yeah. enthusiastic, isn't it? And it's, um, and, uh, yeah, extravagant in its direction. Well, uh, the one that was on last, as far as I'm aware, previous to recording this podcast, was the one with the train crashing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was pretty unusual for Casualty. Spectacular, is the mm. word. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's where his learning ground was, and, of course, Wizards versus Aliens as well, has probably brought him up to speed on the Cardiff office and the kind of thing that would be expected. 
And uh, he could turn out not to be one of the great directors of the series, or he could be the surprise. Yeah. He's here for two episodes anyway. He comes back on episode six, I believe. Yes, six. Mm. About which we know absolutely nothing, so we'll go right past episode six. But the next episode is Stephen Moffat again. Mm. Now, this is kind of curious. This could be, actually, where Danny Pink and his sister... I keep saying and his sister because we don't know quite how much they're going to be appearing. This could be where Danny Pink turns up for the first time. Unless he is in episode two, or unless he has a small part in episode two. Mm. But there's an interesting quote from Stephen Moffat about this as well. Um, The working title for this episode, apparently... And these working titles, they've come off the internet, don't know how accurate they are. They would appear to be, they would appear to be authentic working titles, but we'll see. And obviously working titles always change, or often change anyway, before these episodes come to the screen. Episode four, all we know is, written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Douglas McKinnon, who I think is a great director. He did Cold War, by the way. Mm. And um, he did the Sontaran two-parter for... Uh, Russell T. Davis, but he's done other things as well. Power of Three, and I think he's a great director. And um, he seems to be becoming a bit of a go-to guy as well, as we'll find out in a minute. Mm. He's done Episodes 4 and 5. The working title for Episode 4 appears to be just Listen. Yeah. Just the one word. That's going to stay, isn't it? That's another blink. Could be, could very well be. You're Mm. right, actually. I hadn't made that connection, but Listen, yeah, that does sound like blink. Mm. Um, actually, talking of Blink, before we go on to Stephen Moffat's quote about episode four, let's go back to that other quote that I flagged up that I'd seen in conjunction just with the series in general. Um, I'm probably done, to be honest, on what you can do with the Weeping Angels, but other writers have to have a go. Yes. That's Stephen Moffat, of course. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think what he's saying there is he's not going to be writing another episode himself in which the Weeping Angels are the main villain, mm. which doesn't necessarily mean they couldn't turn up like they did in Time of the They're kind of turning up Doctor, like vultures, yeah. aren't they? If you think about how they appeared in um, Time of the Doctor. They're, they're just... They turn up where something's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. Where they might possibly... They are a bit like vultures. That's a very good point. Thank you very much. But what's interesting <laughs> about that quote is it seems to suggest there will be a Weeping Angel story at some point in Series 12, mm. and that it will be from one of the other writers. Yes. Maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that. Maybe it just means possibly they'll be back in Series 9 or whenever. But I don't know. The fact that he said it suggests to me that they might be in Series 8 somewhere. Yeah, either that or, or they will be absent because he hasn't written a story for them. So he's letting, mm. he's letting it out there, yeah. Anyway, if Episode 4 is the introduction of Danny Pink, then, and this is apparently what Stephen Moffat said in conjunction with Episode 4, he says, For the fourth time in Doctor Who history, Cole Hill School is coming to the aid of the TARDIS. Very soon now, Sam Anderson as Danny Pink will be entering a world, the, entering the world of the Doctor. But how and why? Mm. No. Well, that's the interesting thing there. How mm. and why? There's a little bit of a tradition going on here of uh, companions that appear halfway through an, uh, a series 
tend to be a bit like the red shirts in Star Trek. <laughs> you know something's going to happen to them. That's my impression. You know, you think about Rory and you think about Adam and people like that, the way they come along halfway. They've not been introduced too far into the series, so you get too attached to them. That's my impression. Possibly. You know, you know the thing about Danny Pink is, we don't know if he's going off flying in the TARDIS, and even if he is, we don't know if he's going off flying in the TARDIS immediately. No. And actually, from what you and I know, other people might know different by now, his sister, who is uh, played by Ellis George, and the character's name is Courtney, she seems to be a recurring character as well. Okay. So I don't know whether that means that maybe Danny Pink... Well, well, here's one possibility, and it would probably be some kind of a variation on this. First story in which they appear, which probably does look like it will be episode four rather than episode two, Danny Pink and um, Courtney will be in the episode as guest characters. There may be two or three episodes down the line. There'll be another one set on modern day Earth in which Danny Pink goes off and flies in the TARDIS, but Courtney doesn't. And then probably somewhere at the end of the series, there's another one set in the modern day where they go back and they catch up with Courtney. I have to tell you, Simon, I think Danny Pink's safe. I think he's in it till the end of the series. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint you. No, 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 not at all. Not but he might be on and off throughout the series. I don't know. I have not. That's not to say something might ha happen to him further down the line, though. It's possible. I don't think Stephen Moffat really does that. No. I know he did that with Rory, but there was a big reason for that, and of course he undid that with the whole Roman centurion thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't think he's going to do that again. I think there was so much. Moffat bashing over that. I think he's <laughs> taken that to heart. I did. I I, I, th there's that chap. I, I don't know if I've said it before in the podcast. I've said to a few friends that there's that chap who runs in to tell Clara, give Clara the message at the beginning of um, Day of the Doctor. I was convinced he was going to come back as boyfriend material, but maybe, oop, maybe but apparently Danny, not. Maybe Danny's the another teacher or something. Yeah, he's another teacher. All oh, right. Okay. But I'm not, I don't know if there'll be romance with this. I get the impression not. I've not heard any suggestion of it. But you never know, it's possible. I think that will be the big thing that's changed this year, maybe, is that with Peter Capaldi being so vastly different from Matt Smith, I don't think there'll be... Because, you know, you could. There's no reason why you wouldn't do a May to December thing with Clara and Peter Capaldi. But I don't think he's going down that route. I just wonder if Danny Pink is going to be brought in as a colleague mm. who you do not have any kind of romantic interest. That would make a change, wouldn't it? Two colleagues sort of sharing the journey. Mm. Mm. Okay, Simon, quick pop quiz question for you. Oh, he says, for the fourth time in Doctor Who history, Cole Hill School is coming to the head of the TARDIS. Right, off the top of your head, and instantly, can you name the other three? Unearthly Child. Mm -hmm. uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh yes. Um, Day of the Doctor. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well done. Is that it? Well, Blimey. yeah, Blimey. three, and this will be the fourth one. Excellent. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> See, if you'd have asked that of me, I think I'd have struggled to think of them off the top of my head. Oh God. Well, probably not, to be honest. No. All right, episode five, also directed by Douglas McKinnon, written by Steve Thompson. Okay. 
Uh, of course, Steve Thompson, famous for Curse of the Black Spot and Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, both of which I thought were fine episodes, and Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS in particular, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. He's written something that possibly, this is the working title we've got for it, is called Time Heist. Mm. There's a quote for this. Um, oh, but this is just a generic quote put out by the BBC. I've just I've just tried to grab a quote for each of the stories, although I wasn't very successful. Just one quote <laughs> to give a little something away. Yeah. But a lot of the stories I couldn't find any. He says, the 12th Doctor, he says, the BBC say, the 12th Doctor and Clara Oswald will come face to face with the mysterious Miss Delfox, a powerful, out-of-this-world character with a dark secret when they arrive on a strange and puzzling planet. Ooh, alien planet. I like it. I like it. Yes, that'll not be the only one this series. Oh, good. Um, Time Heist mm. puts you in mind slightly of City of Death or more, or more properly speaking, the story of the City of Death would have been a gamble with time. Mm. You got that link with time again, though. You were saying about time being set you know yeah right yeah so we've got the time theme yet again and you know the idea of a sort of doctor who doing hustle perhaps yeah you know yeah that could be that could be a great fun episode yeah it's just looking at what um douglas mckinnon's done he's not done any hustle has he i'm just seeing if there's anything of no 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 it's all things like the bill and you don't really need to have, though. No, you I need know. To have, you only need to have seen the form, really. Yeah. And, of course, it doesn't need necessarily to be uh, directed like Hustle. It's in the script, really, with something like that. And when I say it could be like Hustle, it could be like, uh, you know, the Blake 7 episodes that were sort of heist episodes, essentially. Yeah. You know, that's th- that's the point, is that it seems to be called Time Heist. It's about this character called Miss Delphox who is a out-of-this-world character with a dark secret. Well, the dark secret, presumably, could be the heist. She could come over as appearing to be, uh, you know, what, what you might call a good character, mm. but her dark secret might be the heist that she's trying to pull off. Do you know what? She, she, can, she can be who the hell she likes because she's Keely Hawes. Yeah, okay. Oh, my word. You know, talking about interplanetary heists, reboss operation as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Episode six. Mm. Right. We know nothing about this, apart from the fact that it's also directed by Paul Murphy. It's written by Gareth Roberts. So presumably this also could be an interesting and fun episode. Mm -hmm. And apparently the working title is Cold as Ice. Mm-hmm. You but we know nothing else apart from that. <laughs> no, is it as obvious as that? Is it really as obvious as that? I wouldn't have thought so. I, I, already... I hope it is, because I'd like to see Gareth Roberts have a go at him. Yeah, maybe. I could see him doing it. I'm not sure. Gareth Roberts tends to write... Doesn't always, of course, because he wrote most of Planet of the Dead. But tends to write larger-than-life characters. If you're going to do an Ice Warriors story you have to devote a lot of time to the Ice Warriors. And if there's one thing you can't do with the Ice Warriors, it's write them as... Um, I don't know what the expression is, but larger than life. You can't write the Ice Warriors with a sense of irony or a sense of humour. No, no. I'm just thinking the Ice Warriors in Paladin. Um, 
Mm. You did have char- You could have characters there. You could, but it'd be much the same as the Klingons in Star Trek, which I'm not a fan of. Um, Klingons, that is, not Star Trek. Um, but you've got down here that the guest cast is the Pinks again. So are we talking modern day? Well, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily. I wasn't necessarily going to bring that up. I've seen a suggestion that the Pinks are in this. Okay. And when I put the Pinks, I don't know if that means both of them or just Danny. But I've seen the suggestion that Danny Pink is in this. And considering that the BBC write-up for episode 5 is The Twelfth Doctor and Clara Oswald with no mention of Danny Pink, oh. I'm assuming, I'm assuming, but I was going to leave this to the uh, for the future to un- unveil, but I'm assuming that in episode 4 the Pinks are in it, then in episode 5 the Doctor and Clara go off on an adventure, and then in episode 6 they perhaps come back to modern-day Earth, at which point... Either Danny or both Danny and his sister go along in the TARDIS for the ride because they would appear on the face of it to also be in episode seven. Mm. Mm. So they may be, one or both of them might be regular characters from episode six onwards. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was leaving to the imagination when I said I wasn't going to go into it any further about five minutes ago, Simon. Okay. Am I just spoiling things for people? Yeah, but then that's fair enough, because I did say we could mention anything that was on this <laughs> dock, didn't I? Yeah. And of course it is on the dock. All right, let's move on to episode seven then, because actually this is taking longer than I expected. Uh, we were going to try and be done in 60 minutes, weren't we? Yeah, that's right. We were going to try and keep to our promise again this week, and once again we failed miserably. <laughs> miserably. Episode seven, written by Peter Harness, directed by Paul Wilmshurst. And a possible working title, Kill the Moon, whatever the hell that means. In the guest cast is Hermione Norris. But the two interesting things about this are the fact that this one includes some location filming on Lanzarote, which appears to be doubling for an alien planet. Yeah. And the quote. And this quote has had a lot of things read into it. The Doctor, it says, or so Stephen Moffat says, in fact, this is from him, is returning to the scene of an old adventure, but there have been sinister changes since his last visit. Oops, pardon me. Since his last visit. Mm-hmm. Well, now, because we're sitting in the middle of a time where the possibility of further missing episode returns is forever somewhere on the horizon people think lanzarote ooh, yes that must be doubling as vulcan which appeared in power of the daleks right so it must be a sequel <laughs> to power of the daleks mm. and power of the daleks must therefore be the next missing episode story to be released but then again could be planet of fire well but then again Back when we were looking forward to the time of the Doctor, um, oh, I can't remember the actress's name, the one who played Tasha Len. Uh, and Stephen Moffat said, a figure from the Doctor's past, yeah. Tasha Len. Yeah, she was a figure from the Doctor's past, but not one we've ever met before. So when it says here the Doctor is returning to the scene of an old adventure, it might be an adventure we've never seen on screen. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, just like... Uh, oh, God... Yeah. So yeah, it could easily be like in Time Lash. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's what I was trying to think. Of. I couldn't believe. It. Yeah. I couldn't think of the name of it. It's almost like my so, memory had obliterated it from. So it could be somewhere the Doctor knows, 
but somewhere that we've never seen. It happens all the time in the series that he meets people or goes to places that he's been before but that we've never had experience of. In fact, the rescue, I think he does it in there. I think that's the first instance of it. And that's the 11th story way back in William Hartnell's time, where he recognises where he lands. So it's possible Lanzarote could be doubling for Vulcan, or it's even possible it could be doubling for Sarn. But then the chances are it's doubling for somewhere we've never met before. Well, it's only sinister changes since his last visit, which tends to suggest that it was somewhere previously quite benign. Exactly. I mean, if there's been sinister changes since his last visit, when the last time he was there it was pretty sinister already, then just how sinister exactly is it going to be this time? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a level of sinister there that kind of jumps the sinister shark. Possibly. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, there was a photograph doing the rounds of a character who looks like a character from another Dalek story that's also missing. So people put two and two together and assumed this story was a sequel to both of those stories. Mm. Which just seems utterly bizarre. Since those two stories were set in entirely different times and places. Anyway, should we move on? Because the next one's fun. Okay. The next one, episode eight, um, written by Jamie Matheson. Mm. He was obviously impressed, for a reason I'll go into in a minute. Episode eight, written by Jamie Matheson, directed again by Paul Wilmshurst. Um, this is the one with Frank Skinner in it. Oh, okay. And Foxes as well, who presumably will be singing. Mm. Mm. And people have said, oh my God, they're not going to have somebody singing in Doctor Who. But go back to Voyage of the Damned. Mm. Right, Voyage of the Damned is set on a luxury liner in space. And the singing that took place in that episode was background singing in the, um, oh, entertainment lounge. Yeah. Now, it's possible Foxes might do some singing in an entertainment lounge or something before becoming involved in the story and thus being an actress involved in oh, the episode. Oh, of course, Frank. Episode. And Frank's going to be a comedian as another act. So... Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Which means that this would be a story that would need to be set somewhere where there'd be an entertainment lounge. Yes. Well, let's have the quote, shall we? Before we have the working title. Mm. Jamie Matheson said, Stephen Moffat says that the Doctor is finally catching up on his phone calls. (laughs) Speculation, go. Mm. Simon, Mm. at some point in the series... The Doctor has fielded a phone call Mm. and then in the next episode has been somewhere entirely different from where it appeared he might be during the course of that telephone conversation. Mm. What's the working title of this episode, insofar as we're aware? Mummy on the Orient Express. Well, there you go. Mm. The phone call he's catching up on is patently the phone call that he was taking at the end of the Big Bang and this is patently the adventure that he ought to have had in between then and a Christmas Carol. Would you not think? Oh, hadn't even occurred to me. Well, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, obviously, they didn't go to the Orient Express to deal with the mummy that was on the loose back then, and now they are. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, I remember now. You're, you, you know these... Ugh. Well, and obviously that patently gives Frank Skinner and Foxes the perfect excuse to be involved in the story, does it not? Yes, it does. It does. 
Right, so all these people are worried about Frank Skinner or Foxes being in it. Get over yourselves. Shall we move on to episode nine? Yeah, they're in there for the right reasons. Right, yes. Exactly, yeah. Well, we don't know much about episode nine either, apart from one very interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is also written by Jamie Matheson, and I and this is directed in a single episode block by Douglas McKinnon again, hence me saying he looks like he's the go-to director at the moment. For the reason that this apparently is a double banked episode. Mm. So presumably a Doctor Companion Light episode. Okay. One or the other or both. Yeah, yeah. And are we can we say the title cuz that Well, that's a working title. Uh, go on, you say what it is. Well, it's Flatline. Hmm. Yeah. As in somebody's well, somebody's dead. Possibly. A double meaning, of course, could mean something else, either as well or instead. Yeah. Who knows? But if it's a double-banked episode, chances are it'll be light on the Doctor and or the Companion, Mm. inverted commas, Companions. So who knows? Mm. Christopher Fairbanks in that, who, if you don't know who he is, Google him. He's an actor you will recognise. He's an interesting actor to have in Doctor Who... He's the kind of actor you wouldn't think fit in Doctor Who. Let's just have a look. Oh, Christopher Fairbank. Yeah, I can have a look now myself. Oh, okay, you didn't know who he was. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's really good. Yeah, he's good. been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot he's of not stuff. Really, he's not what you'd think of as a Doctor Who actor, though, is he? No, but, I mean, if it is a double-banked and he's at the forefront of the episode, that's going to be strong. You know, another Mark Warren situation. Yeah, potentially. Mm. You've got to think of him as a villain, though, haven't you? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows if this could be what the Pinks get up to back on Earth while the Doctor and Clara are off in space somewhere. Mm, mm. Episode 10. We don't know an awful lot about this either. And this is the last one of the series to go before the cameras. And this is what they're um, just gearing up to start recording now as we're recording this podcast. I think they might even start in two days' time, actually. <clears throat> it's directed by Sherry Folkson, who's worked with... Ooh, I knew this, but I forget already. Either worked with Moffat or... I think she did something like... Um, um, Jekyll or something like that. Mm. Or possibly also something for Ross T. Dave. She's done interesting stuff before. Oh, no. She did Casanova. That's what I was trying to think ah, of. Ah, right. Yep. Yep. Which was Russell T. Davis, but was excellently well directed. <laughs> I had no idea the chap who's written this was doing this, so I am thrilled because he, oh, really? he wrote the screenplay for one of my favourite ever films. Which we'll come to in a second. Okay. Let's tantalise and tease the listener with that just for a few seconds. Okay. Because he was, he did say months ago that he was writing a Doctor <laughs> Who, and. Because he's not been announced in all that time, I think people were beginning to doubt it. Mm. And finally they've confirmed that he is. So he's writing episode 10, which would seem to have the working title Devils of Day, mm. which is possibly possibly the most generic stroke, unlikely 
and stroke giving least away of all the episode titles we've got here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've uh, you've got down here. There's a cast of child actors, which yeah. This was the thing that was announced with his name was that there was going to be a lot of child actors in it. Well, whether that means it's the school set in a school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows. Given his previous form, this writer, school wouldn't necessarily be well wider than Mark because one of the films he wrote, is this going to be your, the one that you were going to say is one of your favourite ever? Oh, no, there's no children involved. Certainly not. Okay. One of the films he wrote was Millions. Okay. Which is a great film and the two lead characters in it are both children. Oh, okay. Brilliant. It's, it's Frank Cottrell, boys. What was the film you were going to bring up then? 24 Hour Party People. Oh, uh, right. Yes, he did, didn't he? Mm. Actually, that was a few years ago now. It was, it was, but very, very funny. Yeah, he see, he was on the face of it. seemed to be perhaps the most exciting of all the writers we've got here. Yeah, quite quite a left-field choice as well, in some respects. Possibly. If you've seen Millions, you'd perhaps get a little hint of maybe why he's been brought in. Okay. Especially if it's going to be one that heavily involves children. Mm. Mm. And maybe... That is why they're recording it as a single episode block um, with a director who's just come in for this one story. It's going to be lovely, actually, seeing the Capaldi interacting with the children, though. I mean, that'd be great. Yeah, especially after what we've seen bits and pieces of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't know much else about that one, especially as it apparently at the time of recording this hasn't even started recording yet. 11 and 12, then. Are we going to deal with these both together? Because potentially they're a two-parter, or even if they're not a two-parter, at least interlinked in some way. Mm. How much are we going to give away? Oh, dear. Well, they're both written by Stephen Moffat. They're both directed by, I don't know how you pronounce the name, but I'm going to say Rachel Talalay. Yeah. Is it Talalay? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um... We don't we don't have much in the way of quotes and cast. We've got a three cast members for the second, for the absolute finale. Mm. I don't think these cast members are going to be remotely a secret because they've been all over the internet, so we might as well bring them up. In a few seconds, we have a quote for the pair of episodes from the director, mm. who I'm going to stick with Rachel Talalay. Yeah. She says, we have nicknamed our blog, episodes 11 and 12, the crescendo block. Prepare for loud. Yeah. Well, that's that's no surprise, really, is it? Well, if it's a two-part finale, or even if it's a single episode finale and a sort of lead-in to the finale episode, you've got to expect a turning up of the dial, really, haven't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do the two titles, Simon. Okay. These could be interesting. And for the second of the two episodes, we had a working title that has now been superseded by another working title, which will probably be kept because it looks like a good title to me. Yeah. And I like the title for the first one as well. Yeah. In fact, episode 11, I like that title a lot. Yeah, yeah. Whether it re- Go on, then. Whether it relates to a certain character that we know about. Um, yeah, the first one's called The Timekeeper, which, mm. which I would imagine relates to this character. Um Michelle Gomez's character or is she only in the second episode looks like she's only in the second but she is no, she is stated as being the gatekeeper of the nether sphere yeah hmm. well nether sphere 
that would seem to be an alternative universe, right? I would have thought so, Of yeah. some kind. Yeah. Well, this is interesting, because you know a bit about this, and I'm not going to go into it in any great detail, but Declan May and I wrote a script, I don't know, about it must be about a year ago now, or several months ago, for a project that never in the end went ahead. Yeah. So I shan't say what it is. I shan't say anything else about it. Apart from the fact that one of the developments in our script was that part of the story was set in an alternative universe that was referred to as a nether universe in our script. Mm. And there were elements of our script where there were these two universes existing above and below each other, Mm. which were interlinked with one another. They weren't entirely separate, like, say, East Space in the sort of Christopher Bidmead stories. You know, this was a a planet Earth below and a planet Earth above. Yeah, yeah. Well, if time has been thrown out of whack and in episode two, Peter Capaldi lands back on Earth to find the universe has somehow been thrown off course and then spends the rest of the series having individual adventures but gradually working his way towards finding out what's gone wrong with the universe... Well, potentially that's one explanation. Potentially another explanation is, if you're looking for the Time Lords, if you're looking for Gallifrey in an alternative universe, you'd need a gatekeeper for that alternative universe, potentially. Mm, mm. So this could be... It could be this. It could. Could very well be this. Yeah. Um, We're not going to name the two monsters, but we've seen at least two monsters already that are in this story. So it is going to be one of those episodes where various monsters come in, even if only for cameos. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's certainly a fairly heavy presence of one of them, though. Well, we've only seen shooting from one day. They may only be on that one day, Simon. It is true. Yeah. When you say heavy presence, it just means you've seen three photographs. Yeah, it's true. Of a lot of them, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they might all be photographs of... Well, in fact, we know they are all photographs of the same scene. That might be their only scene. Yes, but we've seen something else which is a bit more involved with that particular monster, haven't we? Well, yeah, which would seem to fit in with my time out of whack. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I can see Potentially. Mm, mm. And potentially could perhaps also fit in with the Time Lords, although I don't necessarily see how. Mm. Um... Well, it's not really going to be a spoiler to say that this episode also features Unit in the form of Gemma Redgrave and Ingrid Oliver, the girl with the scarf. Yes, who's in a different get-up this time, isn't he? She She's um, starting to wear things to do with some of the other Doctors, from what I hear. Oh, really? Mm. I hadn't seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's well, that would that would fit. It would, and she was great. Mm. I really liked her, liked her character. Yeah, so it's good to have those two back. Mm. Well, the whole, uh, you know, let's not spoil anything else about it, because those two theories are completely not inspired by any speculation I've read anywhere or anything I've particularly seen. That's just my own take on what could be happening according to episode titles and cast members and things like that. Mm. We should say episode 12, actually. Well, the first working title I heard from it was Dead Vengeance. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be death in heaven. Yeah, yeah. So linked with the nether sphere, that would suggest that we are talking about 
people passing over to this nether sphere. Possibly, mm. or passing over from the nether sphere. Yeah, possibly. What if it were to transpire that the whole series has taken place in the nether sphere, and the gatekeeper of the nether sphere is the Doctor's way out? Yeah, yeah. So death in heaven could be death back in our own universe, potentially, if you follow this line of thought. Mm, mm. Truth is, we haven't a clue. No. <laughs> but will this lead into the uh, the Christmas episode? You know, if, if well, we are talking yeah. the Time Lords, is that going to go straight into the Christmas episode? Who knows? I'm kind of hoping it's not the Time Lords. No. I'm kind of wondering if, knowing that the Time Lords will be a thing, and I'm assuming they'll be mentioned multiple times across the series, even if they're not the focus of it, I'm assuming they'll be mentioned. I've said this before. You could get a character like Dorian Moldovar come in and say to the Doctor, I know how you get to Gallifrey. And the Doctor says, tell me. And then the guy falls flat on his face with an arrow on his back before he can reveal how. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'll be that kind of thing throughout the series. So potentially, you could get to episode 12, and it could all be a red herring. Yeah. This gatekeeper, the Doctor could think that this gatekeeper is taking him to Gallifrey, and really this gatekeeper could just be taking him back to our universe out of some kind of parallel universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Could be taken in, in fact, therefore, away from the Time Lords. Yeah, this is true. I can imagine a few fans shaking their fist at the, uh, you know, Moffitt, where are the Time Lords? You know, and we, but delicious we... irony if, you know, the Doctor's been looking for the Time Lords and they've been there all the time and he suddenly at the end of the series finds himself, you know, uh, locked out again. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Hmm. Mm. But we know that Stephen Moffat doesn't necessarily... He takes his time, doesn't he, to resolve things. So we may not see any Time Lord action whatsoever, apart from the Doctor no. himself. Hmm. He takes his time to resolve things, and he does like to twist things around and hide things in plain sight. Yeah. And he does also like his timey-wimey, for want of a better word. And I think even though you know we're going to have this new, raw, different direction... I don't think Timey Wimey is going to be gone. Well, no. But potentially, the Timey Wimey could appear to be gone and then turn up right at the very end of the series as the explanation for everything that's gone before. Mm, mm, possibly not. I, d- I don't know. I hope. Right. It, I'm, I'm kind of thinking whether it's going to be a bit more straightforward, maybe. I don't know. Might be. Stephen Moffat. Yeah, can't see I it. know. <laughs> Especially with names like Death in Heaven and The Timekeeper. Mm. Lovely double meaning, by the way. It's something that keeps time as a watch, but the timekeeper is somebody who looks after time. The oh, meddling yeah. monk. Oh. The meddling monk. <laughs> Not saying anything. And, you know, okay, one final thing before we go. There's been lots of rumours that the Master's going back. No idea whatsoever if this is true. I don't even know if this was rumours or actually just people expressing wishful thinking that they wanted the Master to come back. But... If the Master was trapped on Gallivray, mm. then potentially, during the events of the Day of the Doctor, the Master could have used that window to escape. Yep. In a TARDIS, a new TARDIS, we wouldn't have known he's escaped, but possibly he may have escaped Gallifrey, but still been trapped in the Pocket Universe. If, 
This entire series, Series 8, is set in that pocket universe, except another part of the pocket universe away from Gallifrey. It could be that the Doctor doesn't find Gallifrey, doesn't realise it there, but the Master turns up, having been trapped in this pocket universe, and the gatekeeper to the Nether Sphere, and possibly even the Doctor, could be how the Master escapes back into our universe. Yeah. Mm. At this point, I am just talking crap, and I am assuming... <laughs> Well, you never know. And I am assuming that by this point, every last person who started this podcast in good faith has turned off at some point saying, right, I don't want to know any more. Wow. So we're probably just talking to one another by this There's point. There's a lot we could have said and we haven't said. There's a few things, yeah, yeah. for sure. Right, shall we call it a night? Yeah, and yeah. Well, hope all I can if... say is that this series of titles, if nothing else, I don't think... I've been this excited for a series in a long time. The titles are fantastic. And and the range of writers is great as well. Um I mean, yeah, you've got the old stays, Phil Ford, Mark Gatiss in there. Yeah, yeah. But but in amongst there are, are some nice new nice new talents, nice new spins on Doctor Who, their first crack at the whip as it were, so brilliant. It's going to be very interesting to see, mm. and all with a new Doctor as well. Yes. Oh. And, you know, I'm happy to say, still with Stephen Moffat at the driving wheel. The thing is, he's a, he's a talented enough writer that he could... I mean, we you're saying he writes in a certain way, and he likes his timey-wimey, and he likes this, and he likes that, but he's that clever a writer that I think he could probably write in a slightly different style. I think he could probably channel himself in a slightly different way to give... The, the series a different feel so it may even be down at writing level that things are changing not impossible mm. but we'll have to wait and see yeah right i think we've had our 60 minutes simon yeah more than more than yeah and i hope not too much of this podcast is obsolete by the time it goes out <laughs> <laughs> right i think we should say good night then um until next time i was jr and i was simon and we will speak again soon Hey, that's it. What are you talking about? Yeah.